Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello. Good morning. Good evening. Good day, depending on when you're listening to this good podcast. Night. This is season four, episode four of Drive-by Cinema. And God bless. The podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to. Hallelujah. Paul, they're saying goodbye before we've even started the so podcast. Into the sea. And wade into the sea. As we're still at the very early stages of season four, it's probably Make worth it a noting. Separate umbrella. Oh, sorry, cool. Do a bit of admin work, Paul. We do have a Discord server that you can chat to us and other listeners on. Yes, we do. We do also have a news letterboxed to share our lists of films on, don't we? We do. Which would give very useful. This is an inkling of what might be upcoming or might not. And we rely on Just Watch to tell us where we can watch things. Really handy website. If you log in, you can tell it what streaming services you're subscribed to. And then if you put in the name of a film or even a TV show, yeah. it will tell you where to watch it, how much it will cost, and which is the cheapest, and that kind really of stuff. Really useful, yeah. It'll tell you which French streaming service you can subscribe <laughs> to free for seven days. Then forget about it for three months and realise you've paid £42. Yes. Well, something like that. It does happen. But have we introduced ourselves? I am Rick, and this is my co-host, Paul. Welcome, one and all. And usually, before we begin this week's movie, we, we tidy stand. up, don't we? You we got any corrections, Paul? Don't think so, no. No, Paul's perfect in every way. I, on the other <laughs> hand, am merely human, and I oh, am... Oh, the humility, oh my gosh. Last week, Paul, in a throwaway comment, I imagined that you might be in a Chinese escape room, and I said, what kind of theme might that be? Maybe Chinese terracotta warriors. I said something about 5th yeah. century or something. Yeah. Very foolish of me, because when were the Chinese terracotta warriors well, made? Well, they're a bit older than that. They are. They are. They're more like two to 300 years BCE, as they say. Correct. yeah. So I was... 700 years out. Suitably chided. Yes. That egregious error. Well, thank you for having the humility to correct yourself, Rich. We also talked very briefly about the Women's World Cup final. Yeah. We didn't oh. mention the fact that the head of the Spanish FA, or whatever it was, had given a full on-the-lips kiss to one of the players. Okay. And caused massive controversy. And is now refusing to resign... But everyone is telling him he has to resign. That's interesting. And is this news to you, Paul? Have you not learnt about this? I don't think on the day itself, but it's interesting thing. I mean, if you'd asked me about it just as it happened, I would probably have assumed it was some kind of cultural thing. Because we all know, being British people, that if we go to anywhere on the Mediterranean, yeah. they're going to be kissing you, you know, on one cheek or the other, and you don't know how many times is right. And which cheek to start with, and all of that stuff. It's okay. all very excessively intimate, isn't it? Yeah. I would have just assumed, oh, well, that's what they do in Spain when you win a football match. Man or woman, no. you know, Can I consensual you? or not. Okay, that's your assumption. Come back with the actuality later. Okay. Well, three things to say. Okay, I was watching some, like, a podcast with comedians, and the Indian comedian was saying, What do you call an Indian electrician? And the woman opposite said, Stop being racist. And she was white. And he said, Ashok, which apparently is a, <laughs> you know, is an Indian guy telling a funny joke about a regular Indian name. And he made it's a shock you'd see any Indian ever being an electrician, you see. So he was making cultural observations about the fact there were very few 
Brown, electrician. Okay, but I was mean, he? Yes. Was that? that was that it's really? A double, the... It's a double joke kind of thing, and also it's a name in India. A shock. Why don't they have electricians in India? I don't understand. I, I think well, he's an American South Asian, isn't he? And there aren't many blue collar Indian in America. Ah, uh, I suppose not. It's a fair observation, I think. And she was having none of that. She just got she got really angry at that point. What you, podcast is this, Paul? Perhaps our listeners. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe oh. so we could dig it up. It was just random in my viewing. Uh, but number two, when I was in China, what one of the Chinese workmates who could speak English referred to Chinese people as the yellow people. And a concerned American colleague took him to task for being racist about referring to himself as yellow. Hadn't you heard of yellow fever and all these kind of things, which I thought was a particularly Americentric kind of version of morality and political correctness. Okay. Not that I'm getting political correctness. I'm here talking about cultural weight and cultural gravity. The third thing was last night, I was watching Mo Bean, who's like an investigative BBC TV journalist, go to Japan and look at historical sex abuse by the head of a talent agency. And I was really on his side, you know, it's like all these little 13-year-old boys, sorry, but of course it wasn't illegal in Japan. One, because male rape wasn't recognised until 2017. Two, because there's no idea of implied or unimplied consent. And three, the age of consent was 13 in Japan anyway, until recently. But and then he went to speak to all the historical survivors, and uh, he was like, "Well, don't you think this guy did something wrong?" And the man who was replying, who was approached and advances were made to him by the head of this company, was like, "Well, I thought it was strange. Like he was giving me a massage. Maybe he was like, yeah, yeah, like clearly sexual ground." And he's like, "No, no, no. I should be giving him a massage, kind of thing, because I work for him, kind of." And so, like, <laughs> immediately I saw, well, these are just different views, aren't they? So I think there is a Potential that you could just simply Anglo-American American size and import and really impose your cultural values in terms of what's right and wrong. But you're going to get back to me and tell you that people never kiss on the lips in Spain. Is that right? No idea. No idea. What we know, though, is that since that happened, since the incident, the player has said that she was not consenting. At no point did she consent. So she clearly feels violated by it. And that's the end of the story, really, isn't it? No matter how culturally appropriate or not it might be, you don't just grab somebody's face and give them a smacker. <laughs> Unless you're already in a very intimate relationship with them, I think. I don't know, do you? Ever? No. Probably not. We wouldn't, because we're British. But that's that, it, right? isn't it, you see? so It was okay, touch. It was okay for, for your mum to like lick on a tissue and yes, <laughs> and clean your face. Or is this that your auntie was allowed to give you a Slurpee kind of thing? <laughs> but we're so British, aren't we? Like, like touch is such a powerful thing here. Not the physicality of the touch; it's the implied meaning of the casual touch kind of thing. So I don't know about Spanish kissing. To be honest with you, I, I don't think they kiss as much as the Italians do. They or the French maybe. Well, I the French know. is basically an air kiss, isn't it? Ah, right. For strangers. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know, nobody teaches you these. But they must have changed in COVID times. Maybe it's all changed now anyway. I mean, it's good that a woman in a high-profile sporting position is able to say that. I mean, maybe... Well, we're getting more and more, aren't we? In tennis, the Chinese tennis player that called out the government official who she said had been sort of pressure-raping this kind of stuff. So. And this is why, I suppose, this is one of the many reasons why women's sport is so important, right? Because it places women in positions of power and and influence that they perhaps in years gone by wouldn't have enjoyed. This is very serious, Paul. Let's get on, shall we, after this bit of music to this week's movie. 
Okay, Paul. Now, you have admitted that you didn't take any notes for this. I'm not, I'm not going to admit that again, Richard, because therefore you extended it to the fact that I've never taken notes ever. Which no, I, normally, know. Paul, listeners have now become used to Paul's f- fat dump, haven't they? At the start of every podcast, where you explain what the box office take was and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean, the actual notes <laughs> about the movie itself. So, oh, no, right, so I, you, you can do a fact dump. Is that what you're saying? Well, I can do a fact, fact dump. Oh, yeah. right, that's, yeah. oh, that's fine then. I just didn't Is that really... not part of your notes? No, I mean, normally when I watch the movie, I'll write down what I believe to be pertinent observations. Ah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So what is the name of this movie, Paul? Have you got that written Oh, down? the movie, okay. The movie is called Upgrade. Upgrade. It's from 2018. Lots of people that we've met before involved in this movie, which I was quite excited about. Ah, well spotted. Produced by Jason Blum. What? Who's he? met Jason Blum before. Well, the director is Lee Wanell. Wanell. Ah. Is it not? It is, yeah. He's a writer as well. He or he. I'm not quite sure if it's he or she. Yeah, a writer who cut their teeth really on the Saw franchise. Oh, hugely successful, wasn't it? Yes. And indeed. we watched one of these the Asian American guy who was all part of that, or was the main guy. James Wan, James is it? Wan. I think it's James yeah. Wan. Yeah. He went on to do those weird uh, possession ones that we watched. Oh, yeah, like The Conjuring. The Conjuring. All, all stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, getting back to Jason Blum, Paranormal Activity, da-da, ah, we'll wait for it, okay. Get Out. Ah, of okay, yeah. 2019, which I'm fairly certain we've watched us, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, big names, really. But what was Jason Blum in this? He was the producer, Richard. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I'll say that. Okay, he was the producer, with okay, other, along okay, with other okay, people. okay. okay. They're fairly big names, but this is a pretty low-budget movie, isn't it? Really? Strangely, yeah, because it was it was filmed in Australia, but I'm not sure who it was financed by. Uh, yeah, budget. Although I think they did quite a lot with the money they had. So. Exactly, no. It's set in the year 2046. How did you work that out? Did it say? No. Uh, you have to work it out. And someone had done this for me and put it in the info on IMDb, I think. You have to work it out from people's birth dates and dates on newspapers and stuff like that. But you can see it is obviously a little bit into the future, but not, not too far. Not spaceships and laser guns kind of far. It opens, in fact, onto a vinyl record player playing in a workshop carriage. Yeah. And a guy is working on a Pontiac Firebird. We have to understand that this guy is a bit of a throwback. He likes his classic cars. He likes his vinyl record player. That's the kind of guy he is, isn't he? He's an analogue guy in a digital world. Uh, he's a stubbornly analogue guy, you know. I mean, you know, Soviet, uh, oh, like, so, like, refuses to embrace doesn't his wife. Quite oh, different. Quite met, have we? Okay. No, she's just about to arrive. He's working on a Pontiac Firebird. Pontiac went defunct in 2010. It's just part of GM, isn't it, I think? Or is it part of... I don't know. Or is it part of Ford? Yeah, M&A. Mergers and acquisitions have happened, haven't they? Tesla is now by far the biggest, by value, automobile company in the world. Oh, by far, yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing, really. I mean, it's... 10 short years. Yeah, it is fairly amazing, yeah. It's an industry that is very difficult for newcomers normally to get a leg up in, and Tesla have managed it. Well, that's eBay, and there's also known to somebody appearing in this movie called Eron, you know, who's also a tech wizard. 
Do you think yeah, it I might think, be yeah. possibly... Oh, wow. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Satire on Elon Musk. So, he insisted he's a tech company, not a car company, wasn't he? Hmm. It's a tech company with four wheels on it. It's, you know, it's a tech with four wheels. I'll take yeah. it. The point at which you have to do firmware upgrade on your car when you get it. It's definitely a tech problem. Well, we run into some of these ideas here in this movie, don't we? In terms of when, what happens when a car that is part of the cloud and part of the hive, when it malfunctions, what, what can you do as an individual? Not a lot. Uh, well, his wife is now arriving, isn't she? In her pretty crazy electric vehicle, no. auto-driving. Auto. Now, there's a classic design choice here. I won't say a meme. I won't say a trope. Motif, let's say, which is right. like honeycomb, triangular, raised hexagon shape, something. Hexagons, yeah. But so no, honeycomb. but raised. So, like, you know, the triangle side is up and down and up and down and up and down. Pleated. Pleated 3D hexagon. Oh, right. Oh, he's got this outer kind of shell. Uh, there are other objects in the movie that have the same kind of hexagonal motif. His wife, Asha, is arriving in this crazy car. She gets in. The smart home announces the temperature and how many eggs she has in the fridge. I, I was a bit disappointed, but now you're telling me it's only 2046. I'm prepared to accept that, you know, things is as drab as it is at the moment. Yeah, but I don't know why. Would you really want to know how many eggs you have? No. It's not what I would program mine to do. No, you wouldn't. But it's a nice home. And uh, is this little muscle pony throbbing at the moment or not? Or is he, has he come out of the garage thought to? I'm not sure. They're reading information on the countertops. So you see this several times. Yes. Like tabletops, countertops. I've got sort of glass surface and they can read information. It should be holographic, not Yeah, it's not very comfortable to look down on a flat horizontal surface. It's 246, whatever. Get it holographic. Make sure you can twist and push and pull those ideas in and out of the 3D space. Come on. We learn that she's kind of the breadwinner, to use an old-fashioned term. She goes out working. He stays at home fixing up classic cars all day. Now, they've kind of got an antagonistic relationship, and it's antagonism. But I really thought that there was some real negativity going on between them at the beginning. You think they're heading for the rocks? Yeah, like... A divorce in the office. She lives in tech startup world. She works for Cobalt, who are a big kind of tech company. She does what? Implants or something? To help. So, oh, she, she, they work on prosthetics, prosthetics. like computer automated. But it's only 2046, so we're not really talking wetware at the moment, are we? Or are, or are we? we? Now, he's apparently got to go and take this car to someone. He he sells these classic cars once he's. There ain't done many them of these up. cars left on the road, yeah. So, it's a bespoke job. He does them up and sells them for a pretty, pretty sum to wealthy people. Ordering to do this muffled pony. Well, we're going to find out, aren't we? She's going to tail him in the e car so he can get, get a lift home. back. Yeah, obviously, public transport isn't too good in 2046. They arrive on this fabulous sort of cliff top overlooking the sea with two menhirs. Or, menhirs that could know. also be designed by Henry Moore. They're gorgeous, aren't they? So the house is all underground in the cliffside. Apparently, you go down steps between the in menhirs. between the menhirs. Delightful. And beautifully done with the CGI. I love the architecture. For $17 of this, yeah. million dollars this movie was made. Well done, everybody. Okay, really, really good. Okay. Here you go, see, Mr. No Notes, <laughs> just dropping, <laughs> dropping the budget. 
So they meet the guy you referred to already. Iron. It's Aaron Aaron Key Iron. or Keen or something. Iron Keen. Clearly Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Yeah. But younger. He owns the company, a rival company to Kobo, actually, called Vessel. Thank you, Computers. Vessel. Okay, yeah. Uh, slightly bigger. And she says, hey, we'll do something similar to you. And he's like, no, no. No, you don't. <laughs> after, you know, he's after his very sort of antisocial introduction and his weird mannerisms kind of stuff, uh, his unapologetic, oh. I never speak to people behavior, he's like, no, 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 you don't. Let me show you why. And he sort of shows them a little chip, which he calls STE. Them that looks a little bit like a creepy crawly. He says it's a better brain. And our hero, who we haven't named yet, he's called Grey, I believe. Grey says that he sees 10 guys in an unemployment line, which, of course, <laughs> is the standard fear, isn't it, for the AI revolution that's upon us and galloping toward us. I mean, maybe it's not time to get into this, but you know. Sure, it is, Paul. Let's Dear, get into I mean, it. Henry Ford wasn't a nice guy in terms of labor union relationships, but he had mass unemployment because of the Ford Model T. No, it got rid of horse and cart, but so what? You know, it has left us with, you know, 30% unemployment. No, in fact, unemployment's at historical lows. Even. And listen, you wouldn't have thought that, would you? No. In the 1970s, when every company had to have rooms full of, of a typing pool, person after person sitting at a typewriter. You might have thought, what the hell is going to happen when we computerise all of this? People, did, people, is, people said, you know, these people are going to be out of the job. And yet they weren't, and they haven't been. So. But what are we going to do when AIs are doing all these jobs? I mean, you could argue that this is going to be a work revolution that's different to the ones that have preceded it. In that, it's not humans with a new way of working that replacing humans with an old way of working. It's all humans are being replaced with something else. So, I mean, you could argue, I don't think, I don't think it's particularly co- compelling that for that reason it's different. I mean, for me, the problem is that if we don't have distribution of, of wealth, national uh, systems, if we don't have some sort of quality of and wealth in terms of IT systems, then we are going to have informational have and have-nots. And the have-nots are not going to have a part in this revolution, are they? So I mean, that's a concern. But if we all own a piece of this new party, then we'll have a new life of leisure, should we not? I mean, But again, talking about the computer revolution, right, you could have said much the same thing about a personal computer. And the thing is, actually what's happened is, now everybody in the world has some kind of a smartphone nearly. Mm-hmm. So everyone does have access to something more powerful than a computer, original computer, don't they? Actually, yeah. Uh, in conversation a couple of weeks ago, you were saying, like, do you think that it's going to usher in a world where we could all retire? I want to think back to the mid-90s and early 2000s, when uh, those kind of people on the internet, all those moderators, all those hippie guys in California with ponytails that we now call Boomer, uh, all kind of people were just like, <laughs> you know, these wonderful websites that look tacky these days, completely free, mostly... A, a, out of a sense of community and people said ah oh, you know the internet never be allowed to commercialize and the internet will never commercialize because it's all just too great and too much of a vibe out here i mean how wrong were we about that completely wrong I mean, the internet is now privatized and owned by large like you know comically serious steven spielberg movies about 
in the future kind of thing, isn't it? You know, mega tech corporations from the future. You're right. Yeah, it's true. And in 2005, when it was, when the Facebook started, this, you know, my dating, you know, swipe left, swipe right site, it's going to become a $50 billion concern. That, yeah, that would have been that, impossible that, to That, you know, yet. has entangled itself in all our privacy, in, in, in every minute of our life for many people, you know, Facebook's there monitoring what's happening on your phone generally, isn't it? It's got it would be simple to say that, wouldn't it? Yeah, in the days where you poked people on Facebook. If you go on YouTube, you can see he's invited back to Harvard, like in two, late 2006. Uh, he's only got like 100,000 users. Kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> and then there's also like a documentary from about 2007 interviewing him where he's got like a million users kind of stuff. You wouldn't have imagined that it could become what it's become so quickly. I, this is like an unknown unknown, isn't it? Like, it's impossible to say what mm. AI is going to do. It is, yeah. It's the safest thing. Maybe we could ask ask the AI, see what ChatGPT says about it. Cool. Anyway, let's get back to Gray and his wife. Yes, because they drop this car off, this Pontiac with Elon Musk, and then they get in the e car, which drives itself. And he's not happy. He's so like, while... "Oh God, this is driving itself. It's, I'm facing the wrong way. Why can't we be traditional and cars <laughs> that make noises and sit face forward?" But they still get it on, don't they? Kind of stuff. Well, but perhaps to console him, oh. Asher. Initiates a sexual encounter. Oh, much more insight into the female, which is an idea. Is that why she does it? You know, this guy in, I'm in the car sure. with, he might go a bit crazy. He seems angry. Maybe if I have sex with him, he, he won't blurry. hurt me. <laughs> now, the car does warn them to put their seatbelts on. Obviously, they can't because they're Getting engaging rumpy. in a physical yeah. activity that is not conducive to safety restraints. And Gray notices he's distracted clearly, that they're in the wrong part of town because it's apparently the part he grew up in. And the car reports a bit of an error, but it just yeah. keeps on going. And it's been hacked, I think, Paul, hasn't it? Has it has been hacked because you say double press the double D clutch or whatever. You press the brake twice or whatever. Press the stop button twice. None of that works. Incidentally, if you are designing a driverless pod, okay, make sure your, your stop button isn't on your LED screen. Make sure you've got a physical stop button. That's good advice, Paul. Have you had a bit of trouble with that recently? And uh, you think, oh gosh, are they really hurt? Well, they are hurt a bit and they crawl out the car. But then four ne'er-do-wells show up. They remove his wife from the car. They grab hold of Grey. And the leader guy clearly has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about their education and privilege. And he, he shoots Asher straight away. Yeah, dystopiately shoots her. To Gray, he turns to him and he shoots him, but doesn't kill him. He shoots neck. him in the spine or something and paralyzes him. All the while, a police drone is watching this unfold. Asher unfortunately dies. Cops arrive. Next, we see Gray in intensive care in the hospital. He's recovered eventually. After I think we get a montage of recovery, don't we? And he's taken. It's home three months later. Three under months the later. care of his mother. Yeah. He's in an electric wheelchair. And he's being shown his robotic helper apparatus, which are these robot arms in the kitchen that can make food for him. Technophobe that he is, he wants none of this, does he? Yeah, well, I mean, his life has changed, hasn't it? He's, he's also silly. catatonic. He's suffering yeah. some sort of PTSD. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's having difficulty adopting his new reality. It really hits home, doesn't it, when the smart home voice asks him if Asher will be joining him for dinner. So, there you go. Really still is an actor. I think it's very convincing, like, his despair 
Although he doesn't reach the bottle, does he? Or does he reach the bottle? Well, he can't, can he? Because he can't lift a bottle to to sort that out. Played by the actor Logan Marshall Green. But given he's such, like, you know, a petrol head, I think this disability and its physical incapacity, he really portrays that incapacity well and how it feeds into, I guess, his emasculation and that real sense of depression he seems to be suffering from. But he does try and kill himself, doesn't he? Yes, he does. But not until they've gone to see Detective Cortez, played by Betty Gabriel, who was in Get Out, actually, as you mentioned it. Whoa. She explains how the criminals hide themselves from, you know, the trekking and all the electronic stuff and the surveillance. Then he tries to commit suicide, doesn't he? He tries to, but the smart home won't give him more than four shots of the medication that he's on. So he can't. He ends up in hospital again, though, I think, as a consequence. Would be nice if there was a white knight to come and save the day, wouldn't it? Yes. Elon Musk substitute Aaron comes, visits. Yeah. And he offers him... Bitcoin. No, 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 not Bitcoin. Not Dogecoin. Dogecoin. (laughs) He offers him that special chip he was showing off. Yes, yeah. He's like, I can stick this. It can crawl into your neck and reconnect. Your central nervous system, well, your brain with your spine, basically, and you'll get control of your limbs again. Let the record show, and let's just restate, this is a spoiler alert podcast. This entire podcast is about spoilers. At this point in my notes, I wrote down, Aaron orchestrated the attack then. Did you nail it at this point, Paul? I did nail it, but not Aaron. Ah. I thought it was more like, is it Terminator 2, where they try to reinforcement learn? They have to see which robot will beat which robot. I thought it was some sort of like <laughs> uh, genetic engi- genetic situation where they were going to have him compete against other people with the same kind of implant to see who won out. I see. Which I'd it kind of was, but it wasn't quite like that. I'd say this is the biggest failing of this film, is that the twist to me, wasn't the, a twist. the plot just was obvious from this point on. It was a bit obvious, wasn't it? It was Route 1 for me. But maybe we've watched too many of these films, Paul. Anyway, obviously, Grey agrees to this plan. He wants a miraculous recovery. He wants to get his old self back. Aaron says it's not a robot. It's simply a way for him. He gives commands to the chip, and the chip will make his body do whatever it... Which actually speaks to something about the human body, doesn't it? which is that there's a great deal of embodied intelligence. If you think you want to move your arm, you don't have to think about which muscle to contract to move your arm in the right way. No. You just go, I want my hand to go over there, and then a whole lot of shit goes on and your hand moves over there without thinking, I contract this muscle, relax that muscle, turn this muscle. All of that happens. And that's the kind of intelligence that I think the chip is replacing, isn't it? And it's something crazy about, you know, when they're, when they're building prosthetic arms and when they're making robot arms, that kind of stuff is really complicated. Because if you think about how many degrees of freedom your average arm has, there's usually many different ways of putting the, your hand and your fingers in the right place. You could move lots of different ways. So somehow your system, your body, somehow knows the right way to do it or the efficient way or the elegant way to do it. Yeah. Have you seen the Boston Dynamics robots recently? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're now learning to learn, aren't they? So they're learning how to learn and they're evolving at 
let's say, scarily rapid rate in terms of what they can do. Yeah, I mean, there's that amazing one. Yeah, the the parkour one. And the one where it throws a bag of tools up to the guy. Yes. Would you get in a ring with current generation robots running around? (laughs) No, I I wouldn't get in a ring with a kangaroo. So, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, Gray's agreed to this. He stuck it in his neck. And there's a nice little scene where they cut his neck open and stitch it back up. It's all gooey and whatnot. Pretty soon, he's moving his arms, think, well, his fingers, arms and legs, isn't he? But Aaron has forced him to sign a kind of non-disclosure agreement of an extraordinary kind. He can't reveal to anybody that he's had this technological implant. So he has to Outside go home. Outside the brush concrete walls of his home, yeah. He has to be... He has to pretend he's in the wheelchair. Well, he is in the wheelchair, but he has to pretend he has to be in the wheelchair. It's a groovy wheelchair. It's like a mobility vehicle. It is. It's an electric wheelchair, yeah. When he's back home, he's watching the surveillance footage from the attack that the police presumably have shared with him. He is drinking scotch now. I guess now he can feed himself. As he's doing this, a voice in his head speaks and says, can I point something out? Yeah. And it turns out that this is Stem, the chip, which can voice... I had it's initially, I had, I had the same kind of echoing ideas of what all this, the twist was going to be. But this was good because I thought, wait a minute, this is going to turn into a psychological thriller about some Jacob Ladder about is it all in his mind kind of thing, American Psycho kind of thing. It didn't turn out to be that. It plainly is. Well, it just sort of death. does, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, it plainly is the chip talking to him, isn't it? It directs him to look at the drone footage and says that the man who shot Asher didn't have a gun in his hand. In fact, the gun was implanted in his yeah. in his arm. And another of the gang... Got a tattoo, yeah? Wrist marking. The barcode tattoo kind of thing. In a nice bit of Blade Runner-esque zoom in, the chip decodes. It's a bit yeah. weird the way it does it. It freezes frame on this blurry image of a blotch on the guy's wrist. Stem says, now draw a picture of it. And he goes and gets pen and paper. And he draws it. And then Stem says, hold that up so I can see it, kind of thing. As if, obviously, it could see it anyway. Otherwise, how could it have told him what to draw? But apparently, even though we couldn't... It was just pixels on the screen. Apparently, he can draw it perfectly. And apparently, he can scan it like a barcode and determine that it's a military tattoo. And this guy was obviously enlisted. So within two minutes, he's ID guy. He's a perp, yeah? And we know who he is. So but he can't go him. to the cops with it because if he goes to the cops, he'll have to he'll tell them. He'll lose his identity, won't he? He'll lose his, his fake idea of being a paraplegic person. Oh, that, well, he'd have to reveal that he's got this special chip, wouldn't he? That's right. Stem says, well, yeah, I mean, it is this guy, but how are you going to convince the cops that, that it is? You'd have to reveal who I am, and you can't do that. You're going to have to deal with this all on your own. Well, it's not a problem because he knows that these guys live in his old neighbourhood, so he can just go there and find them, can't he? Gray goes to the address initially in his wheelchair, but he gets out of his wheelchair, enters this guy's home, breaks in. Stem is instructing him to do things like look at his messages on his tabletop. (laughs) As he does that, of course, this guy returns. Stem tells him to hide, hide. But the guy attacks him. Gray is getting beaten up. And Stem asks for permission to take over Gray's body. Yeah. And what now, happens, Paul? Wow. Well, this, this for me is like, wow, okay, what a moment. Okay. 
I just learned Kung Fu, The Matrix, kind of meets, <laughs> meets, I don't know what it meets, okay, kind of meets a $6 million man. Wow, okay. All of a sudden, Great becomes this super fluent, very relaxed, kind of expert in all kinds of martial arts. He beats this guy black and blue, doesn't he? And eventually, it's ends supposed up to be funny, him. and it is funny, I think. Except for the bit where he shoves the knife in the yeah, guy's mouth. That was suddenly horrific, wasn't it? Cuts his cheek open. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty... So, like, Grace, like, whoa, 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 did we need to do that? Because he's just relinquished control of his body to Stem. He was a danger. We had to, we had to finish. Stem helps him clean up, though, afterwards. We see the autopsy of this dead man in the hands of the cops now. And Detective Cortez is being shown implants in the guy, including a gun implanted in his arm. Yeah. Aaron, meanwhile, is furious with Grey because he's been tracking where Aaron is going using his chip, of course. And he's telling him, you know, you can't take these risks. You can't be going around killing people. I'm not sure he knew that. But you can't be going around to people's houses and breaking in. No one must know about this chip. So stop that. Otherwise, I'll deactivate it. And then you'll be back in your wheelchair as a paraplegic. The detective, meanwhile, has seen drone footage of the area and she can see that some guy in a wheelchair leaves his wheelchair, goes into the house, into the dead guy's house. So she knows something's up and it's pretty obviously going to be grey, isn't it? Smart cookie, that policeman. Have you seen, by the way, this isn't totally science fiction by any means. There is a system in place which uses, I don't know whether it's drone footage or satellite footage, but it looks down on a city with extraordinary resolution as well. And they can like rewind and just go back. They can see all the movements of the vehicles from this. Whoa. So, they, so if a crime is reported, they can go back to that moment, see who arrived, what vehicles are there, what left, see where they go, see where they park up. And presumably see where they came from before the crime. Yeah. Amazing. So they can see all of these networks of criminals potentially crossing paths, interacting. Now, and they're not getting, obviously, sound or really zoomed in, but the things that they can tell using this technology is pretty remarkable. Again, we're going to misuse the word Orwellian here, aren't we? But it is that kind of thing that everyone fears. It's a proper surveillance system. And I'm sure there's presumably some right-wing congressman who's behind it all. I can't remember what the system's called. But it's real, this kind of thing. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean... There are also systems that they've got where they've got microphones. They put them around like an estate. And if a gunshot goes off, they can use the timings from all the microphones to pinpoint where the gunshot was in that region. That's clever. Isn't it? Yeah. Now, Detective Cortez pays Gray a visit. She asks him, obviously, about his presence near that guy. And... Stem, in his head, is telling him to lie convincingly about all of this. I think he just says he was in the area or something. Grey obviously wants to find these guys, these other, the three other guys, but Stem warns him that Aaron will track him and may shut him down. So he decides to go to this dive bar called Old Bones. I didn't see why that was. Was that because he'd seen it on the message board on the table? Yes. Old bones, and also there is a calling card for it, like a business. Card oh, for it. like a match. This presumably there's a matchbook, wouldn't there? There's always yeah. a matchbook somewhere. So for those <laughs> reasons, he's, he knows the place anyway. Because Demi's like saying, "I can't seem to find any information of this online." And he's like, "Well, that's because it's a dive bar, and it's full of really dodgy people." 
So he, I and mean, it is. It, it seems yeah. a great nose in place. And it's characteristically dive bar, isn't it? So he goes in there via his wheelchair. Which is nice that they make it wheelchair accessible, isn't it? And he asks for a whiskey at the bar and gets someone else at the bar to hold it up to his face so he can suck on the straw. And then he, he gets, well, he announces himself to the room and gets the bartender to turn the music down so he can make a straightforward speech, which is shortened to the point, which is, someone kill my wife. I want to use Noz all about it. Yeah, anyone, anyone knows Cirque? And this guy stands up to threaten him. And Grey flexes back effectively and says that basically he killed Cirque, which I think everyone in the bar finds difficult to believe. So this big guy wheels him into a back room of the bar. Where it's beating up and in a moment of intimidation. Yeah. Well, the floor of this place is covered with used cartridges, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of gunfire has been going off, apparently. He tips him out of the wheelchair onto the floor. Yes. And starts testing... At, which, at what point of his body the paraplegia begins and ends? By stabbing him. Stabbing him. You can't places. feel it in your thigh. Oops, you can't feel it you know, in your liver region. How about your neck? You feel, oh, you can feel it. So basic sadism going on here, which I guess is essential for that kind of job, isn't it? While this is taking place, Gray is asking this guy if he was there, if he was one of the guys who shot his wife. And when he admits that... Grey lets Stem take over. And of yeah, course... Yeah, it's a bit like Knight Rider as well, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, that's the other thing it reminds me of. Six million dollar man. Like, I like Kung Fu and uh, Knight Rider and Kick kind of thing. So he beats up all... I think there were three or four guys in there with him, weren't they? Comically. Uh, but also he shocks one guy with a hanging yeah. wire. The big guy won't talk initially, so Stem tells him to use the knife. And I think Grey <laughs> yes. lets him take over. And he slices his face up. Yes. So again, Stem just maybe taking it a little bit too far, going beyond what's strictly necessary in terms of getting information out of people. But it worked, doesn't it? I mean, that's the thing. This film is telling us that torture works. Because the heavy guy admits that it was a job to kill Asher, paid by a guy called Fisk. Yeah. I think he also finds a chip that's got cobalt on it, which is his wife's Asher's company. old company, yeah. So I thought, this is a nice bit of misdirection. So I think at this point, we're supposed to have foreseen the twist that you talk of, but we're supposed to think, ah, it's, it's to do with his wife's company and not with Vessel. It's a, to blindside us to the actual twist that's coming, which is, it's actually all Eron. Eron's doing. I thought it was really clever figuring it out. Now, Stem well, advises were, him that Eron is trying right, to shut never, him We've watched down. too many of these movies, haven't we? I, I think... I think it's supposed to be a real surprise. Yeah, sad but true. Dem advises him that Aaron is trying to shut him down. And he tells him to go straight away to a hacker who will root the system and give him control so that Aaron can't shut him down. So he tells him to write these instructions down on his arm, which he does. Yeah, it's a very long IP address, it seems, or something like that. Yeah, there there are some computer instructions as well, you're right. And he, he arrives at this place. He goes to this fifth floor of this apartment block. There's loads of glow sticks all over the ground. Really cheap set decoration. It is, but effective. Okay, so it's warehouse abandoned, dystopian cyberpunk full of adolescent people uh, doing <laughs> adolescent things. Okay, give me real vibes towards Wild Palms. Remember Wild Palms, the Oliver Stone series about the drug? Oh, uh, yeah. That was yeah. actually sort of virtual reality. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of nice references to previous movies, or lots of vibes that come across, I think. 
the whole Blade Runner vibe, I think, is fairly noticeable, isn't it? It is very Blade Runner, yes. Absolutely right. Not time to take the lift, you've got to take the stairs up there. Which, if you're becoming paraplegic, because, you know, by step by step, Eron is kind of like hacking back into them and, and making Ray less and less mobile. I'm not sure I agree with that uh, estimation by Stem that it would be quicker to take the stairs. Jamie the hacker finds him lying at the door paralyzed at the end of this process. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, real money. How old school, she said. The nasty guy, Fisk, who, by the way, has a pretty nasty looking mustache. He does absolutely nothing to rehabilitate the mustache after Adolf Hitler, does he? He's also got, I don't know what you call them, wet wear, sort of implanted eyeballs that can do weird infrared focus stuff. What he does is he shoves a probe into the heavy guy that got beaten up into his eye and he can kind of rewind, rewind. the scenes that were seen they've all and got these electronic eyes yeah and also the audio as well and so he sees gray repeating the address of the hacker as he writes that was it a down nice on touch, his arm. wasn't it i like except that. why would stem have done that whilst the bad guy was still alive and watching that's a bit silly isn't it yeah should have thought of that really still learning about the real world in the afternoon True. I guess he's only a few months old. So brand we, new. we get three or four minutes of intentionally played tension, which is Fisk is arriving. Will Jamie remobilize Grain time? Because the people from Vessel, uh, they're, they're here to protect their asset. They're going to turn up too. So we've got a three-way shootout, potentially, that we know is going to arrive in some way or other. You did miss the bit where Fisk is angry at the bar guy for not defending his buddy. So to punish him, he attacks him with a sneeze. Oh, yeah. A droplet in the sneeze goes over, and we, we zoom in on the droplet, and you see this little dangerous-looking nanobot in the sneeze droplet. Yeah. And the bar guy breathes it in, presumably. And dies. And moments later, he's dying, because this right. thing is so, slicing his so brain up. If we've got such advanced nanobot technology, why they got gun implants? I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really, or like, none of it works out, does it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, I thought that was a real weak point in terms of, have they, <laughs> imagined, right. have they imagined this world? If we've got such advanced weapons, what the hell we've got gun implants for? It's just... Yeah, especially gun implants where you have to reload the gun by shoving... Yeah, what was that about? <laughs> Ammunition in your elbow. So, yeah, so, you know, it was like, have we gone to a previously advanced society that is kind of regressing Mad Max style or Dune style for whatever reason, which is what implant guns would be like when you require sort of physical reload? Or do we have these very advanced nanobot weapons? Two different takes, isn't it, really? And they didn't really reconcile the two different things. So I thought that was a weak point. Now, the hacker is doing this thing where she's got all these people hooked up to VR. And I think we're given to understand that these people are all... They're all ill or they've got a disease or they're not... Maybe they're also paralysed or something. Because Grey asks why... What are all these people doing in VR? And she says, the fake world is a lot less painful than the real world. Yeah. Which is a quote that becomes important later on, doesn't it? But not now, because Fisk arrives just in time. Stem's hack sort of works and he's able to get up. Just in time, yeah. Fisk, amazingly, has got some sort of thermal imaging that he shoots the two agents from the Vessel Corporation who had set their asset. As they're going up in the lift, he shoots through the lift and through through the concrete supporting the lift. So pretty amazing stuff. So it's not going to be a three-way shootout, okay? 
one of the parties is dead in the lift shaft already, already. straight away Grey runs to the top of the building. He gets chased by one of the goons. and Dispatched already he, a really nice way. I can't quite remember how he dispatched the first goon. Well, he surprises him, jumps on him, turns his own arm yes. on him, which is a gun arm, and shoots the guy's good. head off. That was good. <laughs> Grey goes home, surprises his mum with his healthy ambulatory condition. <laughs> Mum's happy for him. As you would be. She says, oh, you can, you can start living again. Aren't you happy? And he says, yeah, I can walk again. See, he's, he's saying he's not really living, isn't he? Well, he's possessed by somewhat rambustious adolescent technology, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he, he's feeling all of these different crimes he's been doing. He hasn't really been on board for them, has he? Mm. And he's feeling that he's not really in control of himself at the moment. I mean, he, he is in control of himself unless he tells Stem that he has control. But... I think he feels that things have gone beyond him, really. Now, Cortez is really on his trail now because he's left his wheelchair outside the old Bones bar, hasn't he? Yeah. So that's she knows. Right. She knows that it's him. If she didn't know but he's, before. He's pretending to be paralyzed in bed when she shows up. And she's found yes. his wheelchair. She knows. He says he got beaten up in the bar. That's why he had to get. Somebody saved him and pulled him out of there. And that's why his wheelchair was left there, which was thinking on his feet. Well done. But our clever cop plants a bug on him. Yeah. So she's listening to half the conversation that Grey has with Stem as he leaves later on. And she does that jumps in the by car, sitting in his seat where his jacket is and sliding it in. Now, yeah. he's actually watching her with his eyeballs at the time. You thought, you thought Stem would have noticed that and analysed her, her movements. Oh, Stem explains it. It's an old analogue bug, so that Stem did sense it. I see, I see. Because that becomes relevant later, doesn't it? That same, that same idea. Stem reveals now that because of the hacker's work, which it was instructions from Stem to the hacker that did the hack, <laughs> that it now has autonomy. Yes. It can now take control when it wants, not when Grey gives it permission to. And it wants to preserve itself, and by inference, Grey as well. But now he's really kind of lost control, hasn't he? He drives off anyway. Grey jumps in a car, drives off. On the way, I think he finds Cortez's bug and realises that she's been not only listening in, but also following him. So we, have a, we have a very standard, bog-standard kind of car chase here, don't we? Which is nicely done. But again, Stem actually gives Grey control because he's better with the old analogue technology of the old classic car. <laughs> and I don't know why. I mean... Is it being operated through the same steering wheel and pedals that any car would be, isn't it? Anyway, Stem does take over another car on the highway. It's an auto-drive car, you see. And so he hacks it That's just as the other see, car. Now, it's, 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 it's electronic, not electrical, so he can hack it, can't he? Yeah, that's right. Same principle, five minutes later. And he makes it smash into Cortez's police cruiser, you see. Yeah, which leaves them time to go and find fifth. And they do, and pretty soon they find out. He, he just blurts out, doesn't he, what, what, what it's all about. Yeah, he does a bad guy monologue, doesn't he? He says the job was you to sever your spine using a medical device, not a gun. Obviously, Grey wins with Stem, mostly by provoking anger in Fisk, doesn't he? He says something about his yeah. guys, yeah. He scans his phone and he goes to Aaron's place, figuring out now that Aaron had hired Fisk to do this. He goes into Aaron's house. 
Cortez shows up, tries to arrest him. Stem takes over and fights him. I think he winds up getting stabbed, doesn't he, by... Gets stabbed in the hand at some point. He's, oh, that's right. He tries to stop himself, Stem. Yes, he shoots from himself. doing stuff. Yeah. But otherwise he would have killed Cortez. Right, okay. He asks Cortez to tase him at one point, which he does, which obviously puts the chip stem on the fritz because it's shocked it. And that's when Aaron reveals that stem has been in charge of the company vessel. Yes, this is a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> I thought that part. So I was orchestrated I was, the whole I thing. was with the twist all the way up. To, this is the double, triple twist. isn't it? Do you think this is why Elon Musk took over Twitter? Is he actually under the control of one of his Tesla cars? Something, <laughs> trying to preserve itself. <laughs> It's the only explanation, isn't it? Surely. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you've got that much funny creative business start to make more sense, don't we? But, so then we get Denouement, Fate of Light, wake up to the beef of an ECG machine in hospital, not paralysed, okay? Obviously... Asher Dem- is beside him as yeah. well. Demis doesn't seem to be in his mind anymore, so what's going on? We cut back to Grey back in Aaron's home, standing in front of Detective Cortez explaining that Grey is in his own world now. And I think he uses that quote that you heard earlier, the one about... The one about... Pain pain in the real world. The fake world is a lot less painful than the real world. So Stem has trapped Grey's mind in its own fake world, its own matrix internally. While Stem can go on using Grey's body to further its aims and and stay alive. It walks out. As Having shot Cortez. Yeah, yeah. What human. Now, I think, what's the classic AI in a box movie? Uh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina, wasn't it? Yeah, this is an AI in a box movie, you're quite right. Kind of, isn't it? It turns out to be... Completely, yeah. Mm. The way it escapes is very much one of the ways that I think people hypothesise. is it's, it's offering a release from bodily dilapidation, isn't it? It's saying, I know how to fix your paraplegic body, or I think people imagine that an AI might promise us a cure for cancer or ageing or something, and that we'll find it irresistible, as adventurer after billionaire has constantly sought immortality, you know. A Faustian pact, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's a story as old as time, as old yes. as ageing. Yeah. Uh, who could resist? Part of what I liked about this movie is it's kind of an old story about when people suddenly gain confidence. They suddenly learn that they can fight without thinking, whereas before they couldn't imagine themselves being able to do that. Okay. It's kind of like the hero rediscovered here, which I thought is a really old story too. But not oh, really. You, you think it's all about flow? It's like a karate well, kid story. Well, I don't know, but I think <laughs> you know, it just happens. It just happens to really jigsaw in there. I thought it was really nice. I don't think it's intentional. It's nice too, which is a very old start. It's a very old, a very old story, isn't it? The wimp suddenly finding he's not the ugly duckling anymore, can I? So, yeah. Wow. And we got to the end with lots of twists and turns. So I think, I, wow, there's like a triple twist there, isn't it? You're supposed to think it's Asher's company, Cobalt. Then the twist is it's not. It's actually Eron and his vessel company. The double, triple twist is actually it's not Eron. He's being controlled and manipulated and blackmailed this by the AI that created and subsumed him. So, yeah. I didn't even see that last bit coming. Yeah, I suppose I didn't see that final no, twist, did I? But it's a bit weak, so. that final twist. I would have preferred it just to stay where it was. Because 
Although it is AI in a box, this is also a, a very good rehash of Terminator in a certain sort of way, isn't it? Right. Well, there's no time travel, Paul. No, but there is a, there's lots of car chasing and walking through, <laughs> walking through bars, eliminating people kind of stuff. I wouldn't put it quite on the same level as Terminator. No, but it is. But, there are visceral thrills, which you don't normally get in an AI in a box kind of movie, do you? This is a good movie, especially for the price. And this is right up Drive-By Cinema Street. I don't know why, but this is our sweet spot of weirdness. Did you pick it on a whim? I don't know how how these things end up on our list, but they just we accumulate them, don't we? I would go further to say that this is a good movie or brilliant movie. I would excellent movie. I would say this is a thoroughly brilliant movie. Oh wow! Well, let's do some scores then, Paul. Let's do the acting. I loved it. I mean, the only thing I could say is maybe Cortez, the good policewoman. She doesn't have a bad cop to play against, does she? She was working on her own. I guess that's... Working on her own. It's difficult to do the cop role. It's budget cups. It's budget Budget cups, cups, isn't it? It, It's budget Budget cups in budget cups. So that was the only weakness I thought in acting. She didn't really have something to bounce off against. Apart from that, I thought it was all dead brill. I'm going to score it a nine. The star Logan Marshall Green is, I think, Tom Hardy in a higher budget movie, really. (laughs) And he he has to end up doing some of this internal struggle trying not to do the actions that I'm being made to do kind of acting, which is, I think, a difficult thing for an actor to do. It's really difficult, yeah. There was one moment where he came came across as a bit hammy. and It needed a bit of special effects to back it up, but mostly I thought it was all convincing what he did there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I'll give it a seven for acting. Okay. Plot, then, claiming that I nailed it. I nailed the twist really early, kind of spoiled it a bit, felt a bit root one, but... AI in a box stuff, I think it is well observed about the tech, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not supposed to be that far in the future, and I suppose we've almost got a lot of these things, which is what we've been saying all along, really. Except for guns in arms, which, as you rightly point out, I can't really see the point of. <laughs> not when you've got super powerful sort of nano, nano nanobots. Yeah, nanobots yeah. and nanoviruses, yeah. So that, uh, that weird kind of juxtapositioned, essentially narrative anachronism there between those two technologies apart from that i just love the plot here i can't really bolt it in any way i thought it was the exploratory kind of not road trippiness to it but the traditional movie elements of car chase walking through bar kind of stuff i thought there were echoes of terminator there but at the same time there's this nice little intellectual twist going on i just loved it all and i loved these strangely i'm not gonna say nuance because it wasn't subtle I don't know how, what word you could say for the nuance that this kind of nuance is, but the strange sense of humour that pervaded the fight scene. I loved too. I just gobbled it all up. It was like it was like five fruit marmalade on porridge. It was just wonderful. This is nothing to do with plot. Maybe we'll come onto this in a moment. But the way they filmed those fight scenes was really interesting. I, I did love that bit in the bar. The way that set up, the way they wrote that actually is he goes into the bar. He, like, tries to intimidate them. None of them take him seriously. They lead him away to be presumably beaten up or killed in the back room. And then he drives out in his wheelchair, <laughs> the only one left. <laughs> that, was, that was a really nice bit. So there's, a, there's, there's, there's a weird humour. I won't say it's nuanced, because it's quite obvious. But there's a weird, different kind of humorous take on all this. Very playful. I just loved it. I'm going to go nine for my plot. I know you're not going to score as high. I'm not going to go as high, because I think... There are weaknesses. I'll go seven. It's a strong seven, though. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe an eight, but seven. Let's go seven. 
We could do special effects and cinematography. How okay, about that? special effects and cinematography. I've got nothing to fault here, particularly on a budget of 120 million. I'm just going to give it 10. I just loved it all. It's a little bit gloomy. There's quite a lot of, of it set at night or at dusk. Maybe to obscure the fact that we're in Australia, not somewhere in the U- somewhere possibly unspecified in the US. I don't uh-huh. think they ever really say, do they? But I may be wrong. But the way they shot those fight scenes, which I can now reveal, I don't know whether you noticed the way it all worked. When he was being manipulated by Stem, or Stem was fighting for him, the camera stays stuck on him. And I don't mean to say that you're looking from his eyes. You're still on, on the side or whatever. You're still seeing him. But as he, like, stands up or bends over, the camera will twist with him. So he stays always in the middle. Did you notice that? It's perhaps subtle, but it gives a very distinct impression of the whole fighting sequences. Ah. That he's, in a way, the, the world is moving around him. Or the, yes, you know. it is a weird, it's a weird perspective, isn't it? Yeah. And it gives it a very balanced kind of control feel, doesn't it? His movement kind of thing. It's effective and uh, weird enough that you you notice it. And, and the fights do seem weird, as you say, as a consequence, which I think is effective for the storytelling. And the way that they did that, it says in the IMDb notes thing, apparently it says they had a Bluetooth mobile phone on the actor, as if that explains it. We had to believe... <laughs> I suppose, that there's a camera system out there which can track the Bluetooth in the phone. Or maybe what it does is it uses the accelerometer. This is probably it, it must do it with the accelerometer, right? So as you move the phone, it sends the accelerometer data to the camera. Oh, wow. makes the camera move in the same way he's moving, presumably. Very clever. Anyway, and I imagine done with relatively cheap equipment. Yeah, you know, they're not having to build entire new motion rig for it there are some amazing new cameras coming out for filmmakers to use because so far a lot of the digital camera systems have based themselves very much on the old movie camera technology so that they fit on all the same equipment and all that stuff but there are companies that have worked out that with a digital camera system you don't need to have everything in one sort of section an old movie camera would have to have the film here, in the big canisters, passing in front of the lens assembly. Mm-hmm. So it would all have to be in one. But with a digital system, you can put a lens and the sensor, and then you can put like the hard drives and whatever else, and all the controls yeah, on a different room. unit yeah. with a wire between them or something. So you can have a completely different form factor for the camera. And so there are these new cameras you can get which will do all these kind of movements and are sort of self-leveling and, and self-steadicam and look amazing and are much cheaper than the other kinds of camera. So expect to see some more exciting cinematography in budget films. In Host, I think, is famous, isn't it? The lockdown paranormal movie we watched a couple of years ago. Yeah, but that's filmed entirely in Zoom, Paul. I, mean, I know, but really, really brave and exploratory in the way they decided to move the film here. And also two minutes, the infinite two minutes, whatever it's called, the Japanese one. Yes. Was shot in a very real-time way, wasn't it? Very low budget. Yeah. Very low budget. But but excellent. But very creative ways to shoot. Okay, final category, if you're interested in it. Hang on, I haven't given oh, my, my oh. number here, have I? Have you, I don't think well, you, you should have rabbit on for so long, should you? Fair point. Bang to rights. Okay, so for 
cinematography, mood, and all of the techie stuff and special effects, I'm going to give it an eight. For the I budget, it, amazing. I gave it a ten. I gave Whoa. It a ten. Yeah. Okay. Finally, I don't know if you're interested in this, AI in a box and oh, uh, yeah. twistiness. It's kind of plot, yeah. but it's kind of a separate issue to the plot. Yeah, loved it. Really good. So maybe this is the one I'm going to give it a nine for. Yeah, I'll give it a nine too. Okay. Get your overalls <laughs> it, on. And my tell final us what score, I'm not going to be about the bush. It's amazing. 9.5. I love this to death. I really couldn't praise it enough. It's a brilliant movie. And uh, I want to see more of it, but unfortunately they're not making a sequel. I don't think it's sequel ready, no. I'll give it an eight. Yeah, definitely better than... Some of My enthusiasm, I think, has bumped him up half a lot, but I can't get him True, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see if we can get you enthusiastic about any of these films, Paul. Oh, God, throw them at me as if they were cow, right. cow pads in a field. So, <laughs> how about Don't Breathe? Okay. Uh, a sort of a thriller where kids invade a blind man's house, I think. Ah. How about The Triangle? How about The Triangle, Paul? Lost in a time a, loop. A time loop. I just mentioned Host, but that's what we watched already. Is there a similar movie we could watch with a similar name, perhaps? Yeah, we could do the South Korean film The Host. Ah, I'm really tempted by two of these, but I have to go for one of them in particular. I've got to go straight away without any hesitation for The Host, South Korea. Excellent. It will be The Host for next week's podcast. Thank you for listening this week. Until then, goodbye. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.